0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I'm Maura Errins-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope workplaces can change in the future. Today, two leaders who learned that being unusually transparent and vulnerable is a fantastic way to motivate people and drive positive change. We'll hear about the world of tech startups and burnout from Buffer's Joel Gascoigne a little later. But my first guest is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Now, one of the most stressful places anyone can work is in politics and government. There's managing different interest groups, constituents, budgets, the media. It's a lot, even in a time that's less about life and death than during the coronavirus pandemic. And right now, as I tape in the U.S., we are living in trauma ripped more raw every day. The death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and unfolding acts of police brutality demand conversation and acknowledgement at work. But race is difficult for most of us to talk about. So I'm working on a special show that will try to provide some guidance. We taped this episode before the protests around policing and racial inequality in the US erupted in full force but it's important to note that Eric Adams is a former police officer himself. He advocates now for the physical and mental health of his constituents, and that includes something you might not expect, meditation. He said, I wish I had started meditating when I was a police officer, because I went through my career with a misaligned center. Eric Adams is the current Brooklyn Borough President in New York. He served as an officer in the New York City Police Department for 22 years and then was a Democratic state senator in the New York Senate. And in November th- 2013, Adams was elected Brooklyn Borough President, the first African American to hold the position. He was re-elected in November 2017. Mr. Adams, joined me to speak about leadership, crisis, and meditation. Well, first of all, just... Tell us what life is like in, in your district right now.
1: It is, it is extremely intense. Uh, I think about the days of September 11th when I was a lieutenant in the New York City Police Department, uh, when two planes shattered what we thought was our reality, and we watched those buildings collapse in front of our eyes. And I remember that, you know, are we going to make it through this? Will we ever be the same? And something happened amazing on September 12th. We got up, Mm -hmm. we opened our shops, we taught, we built, and the country watched us and responded to that. And although uh, COVID-19 is not uh, terrorism, it has created a level of terror uh, that is going to cause us to dig deep as we lost so many loved ones in such, such a short period of time. And as we also dealing with some of the physical and emotional a trauma that's associated with this so but we're getting through it one day at a time
0: so so let's talk about the emotions and and and, and for you in particular you, you've been public about anxiety about dealing with anxiety and using your platform and visibility to lead others to take up meditation how was that hard to get people to buy into it? I mean, did people, anyone say, what, Eric, why are you, why are you focusing on this, of all the things you could talk about?
1: And I'm, I'm amazed at how much we learned we have to unlearn so we could start the process of learning. Mm. And one thing is uh, our bodies and our minds. I remember when I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, my son coming to me and say, Dad, you spent so much time putting the right oil and gas in your BMW, why you need to do that to your body? And (laughs) that was a wake up call for me that, you know, we need to start really understanding how our body operates and mental health and physical health uh, both need uh, similar nurturing and caring. And so when I started to articulate the power of meditation and showing people this was not just some hippie type stuff, Uh, This was proven science that has been around us for so many years. Uh, People started to really embrace the concept because they started seeing the results.
0: You know, it's so funny you talk about your body because I think a lot of us, you know, myself included, we have a really complicated relationship with our body. How has meditation helped you have a different relationship with your body?
1: Coming out of policing, you know, as a police officer in New York City for 22 years, and I started when crime was high. And I saw some of the most inhumane things that a human being could do to another human being mm-hmm. during that time. I didn't realize until I retired and things slowed down a bit uh, how much I was experiencing what I considered to be PTSD. Mm-hmm. I was reliving much of the anxieties that was attached to some of the crimes that I witnessed. And not until uh, I reached out to uh, David Lynch Foundation and learned Transcendental Meditation, uh, that I was able to really start the process of healing mentally and allowing to just silence the noise that was distracting me for so long and just really to live present, um, taking that moment to actually hear my breathing, uh, to take that moment to actually uh, feel uh, the healing mentally that I was going through, and it was extremely powerful and profound at the same time. And I encourage people also to embrace just that inner healing that we often ignore, particularly for men. Mm. My significant other, she would take the hot baths, she would sit down, she would take those moments. But we have this suck it up mentality when it comes to men that you're supposed to really lean into the pain. And the discomfort is all part of manhood, and w- which is really foolish. Your body doesn't know anything different between manhood and womanhood. It just wants to heal.
0: Oh man, that that's really beautiful. I mean so so take us back to this moment when you you thought I'm going to do transcendental meditation. Why that, and what spurred you to make that first call, go to that first meeting? Well,
1: it, it was a it was a real dog place for me. Um, uh, everything from I'm uh, wondering, do I want to continue life in itself? Do I want to uh, actually uh, continue any form of career? It was just a real dark moment, and I know people get there. Uh, it's not unique to me, so I don't. I don't want to give the impression that what I was experiencing, other people weren't were not also experiencing. But it was a dark moment, and really, I was reaching out of saying, I know it had to be more. And, you know, although I am a Christian and I believe in the, the religious uh, philosophy of Christianity, I knew that it was not addressing the real need of healing. It was, it was almost had become a traditional band-aid that I just put on the cancerous sore of depression and the cancerous saw of going through PTSD. And I knew I had to learn the science of how the brain operates. And I was amazed to explore uh, how we relive trauma. And although we don't see it physically all the time, but for the most part, it was an erosive and corrosive experience that was, that was happening to me every day internally that I relived that trauma, that fright and, fright and flight um, every time I got revved up uh, over and over again.
0: How, how would things have been different if you were meditating when you were a police officer?
1: I went through a lot of stress in policing because not only was I fighting crime, I was fighting a lot of the isms in policing, mm-hmm. racism, anti-Semitism, sexism, all of those things. I started an organization called 100 Blacks and Law Enforcement Who Care, and it was in the heart of really the tension between communities of color and the police department, and every day I was going through those the stress and trauma of really trying to make the department what I thought it should be uh, in, during those moments in those times. And that added to the overall stress of just fighting crime mm. uh, every day of dealing with the criminal element and, and, and dealing with people who were going through everything from rape to robbery, to homicide, to domestic violence, uh, all of those things combined. If I had a way of turning down the noise. If I had a way to find a space, not only externally, but internally, to really calm uh, my center. You know, policing disaligned uh, my center, and I never had a way of realigning my center. So I went through my career with a disaligned center, and meditation would have showed me how to realign it. And made my, I would have definitely have become a better law enforcement officer, a better person, and a better human being in the process.
0: I have, I have another question about anxiety because our, this show is called The Anxious Achiever. And everyone who's on this show has had an incredible career and and has a history that, you know, with different changes, looks like yours and that there's always a propulsion to achieve. There's, you know, you know this person is ambitious. For you, you, you were... I think you graduated first in your class from the police academy, you have a master's degree, you know, just looking, you started organizations when no one told you you had to start an organization. Clearly, you're a very driven person. And I'm curious, if you think about now that you look back, not that you're not that you're slowed down at in any rate, being the Brooklyn Borough President. But um, when you look back at your career, where did that drive to push forward come from? And do you think that it ever had a negative effect on your mental health or created anxiety in itself?
1: Great question. Because I often say in my resume, there needs to be a failure section. (laughs) Sometimes we just acknowledge the success in the person's bio or resume, Mm -hmm. but we don't see how much it took out of you in the process and being driven all the time i never really taking an opportunity to live in the moment. That's what meditation really taught me. I no longer focus on the destination. I'm focusing on just the journey. And I think the universe will let the destination take care of itself. But the beautiful journey that I am on, and if I spent more time when I was in the police department of appreciating the journey, I believe I would have evolved out of it Uh, in a better way, and just constantly driven to get to the destination, to get to the destiny. Uh, The lack of time I spent with my son during that that moment, I'm always on the go, always being driven uh, to get to that top without realizing that top meant I was only looking for the next mountain to get to, and I was caught up in just the destination and not appreciating the journey.
0: So how does, how does knowing that now, I mean, you work in politics now, which is not the most mentally healthy uh, profession I know from personal experience. How does, how does your knowledge that it's about the journey and not the destination or the achievement change how you manage your staff in the office?
1: It's really um, part of, I have this thing that I tell all my staff and they all know, uh, family first. Uh, You know, whatever we're dealing with is going to be here. Ah, uh, long after we're gone, we're not doing anything that's going to uh you know uh, shift the planet out of its orbit but so but taking care of our families uh, uh, that is so important, and that is my theme. um giving my staff an opportunity. we have a space where you can go and meditate, introducing yoga into their lives, uh showing them that in each all of us I, I often say, and in, inside all of us, we have a good wolf and a bad wolf. The goal is to starve the bad wolf and feed the good wolf uh, and just giving them an opportunity to explore themselves because they're no good to the people we're trying to serve if they're not good to themselves. Uh, There's a reason when you get on the plane, they say put the mask on yourself first during an emergency um, so that you can take care, whoever your travel companion may be. And I encourage them to do the same. To take care of themselves, give them the quality time they need uh, to make sure that they're whole, so they can make others whole.
0: How are you translating that into coronavirus time when things are so urgent? And I can imagine your office is is just inundated every day with with life and death stories and requests.
1: Yes, and people are hurting. Yeah. They're, they're hurting. You know, we, there used to be an old soulful. Soulful Ballot that stated, if you take a close look at my face, you'll see my smile is out of place in the tracks of my tears. Uh, although people are robotically going through life, um, if you look closely and just communicate with people, you'll see the tracks of their tears and pain. Uh, three weeks ago, I lost five dear friends in one week. One of them was a police officer I trained as a rookie. She died from COVID-19. And, and the other was my mentor that talked me into politics. He died from COVID-19. I dreaded picking up the phone and listening to those sentences of, uh, did you hear? Because I knew what was coming next. But the reality is that we are showing people how to cycle through their pains. We do a series of things on our Instagram, everything from showing people meditation, how to sleep right, um, how to cook healthy food that will strengthen their immune system, uh, how to deal with this moment of learning, how to take this moment and turn that pain into purpose. Uh, that is our goal. Our goal is more than uh, just telling people, you know, make sure you can get to a hospital. We want to show self-care, and we're doing that every day. When we knock on doors and interact with people, we're giving them tips around what they can do daily. I think that this is an opportunity for all of us to introduce ourselves to someone that we have not been around and ignored for a long time, and that's ourselves, uh, we need to relearn who we are and how we, what we need to function in a healthy environment, healthy to ourselves and healthy to the people we love and who are around us.
0: You know, it's so funny. I've been thinking because you 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 quoted the song, the tracks of my tears. I use music sometimes to change my mood and get me into a better place. Does what role does music play in in your meditation life and your mindfulness life?
1: Uh, that was part of the exploration that I discovered the power of sound and the power of music and the frequencies that's connected with the frequencies of our bodies. Music to me, puts me in the right mindset and the right mood. I think it connects with, the, with my energy and allows me really to transform myself to an extremely a meditative state in a meditative place.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability. To... If you want to hear more of Zach Parry's
1: story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: My last question for you, uh, and I and I ask you this as an introvert, um, is it strikes me that being in politics, right? You you you're. you're, you're time is not always your own, and even your body's not always your own, your space. You are a public servant. You exist to help others. How do you get the time you need to take care of your body and your mind? Do you have any advice out there for anyone who's feeling like their time isn't their own?
1: <laughs> and I smile when you said the term introvert. I'm, I am extremely shy, and I am an introvert. No. Oh, I, everyone says that, but my family knows it. <laughs> they, they said if, when it comes down to politics, Eric would have been the last person <laughs> we <would> ever <laughs> thought we'd go into politics. Uh, but I've learned to listen to my body, both my physical being and the anatomy of my spirit. Mm. And I no longer build my career or my life around that piece It's about making sure that I listen to the signals and when my body says or my spirit says it's time to slow down, it's time to do your self-care, I do not push back and I do not ignore it. And if If it means canceling everything for the week, then I would cancel everything for the week. I must be at my optimum physically and mentally so I can give everything I could possibly give to the people that I love and I serve in the borough of Brooklyn.
0: Wow. I never met an introvert or self someone who admitted <laughs> to being an introvert who was in elected office because it's hard, right?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It really is. And and because I do from my heart, I reach the hearts of the people I serve and that feeling of being around someone that gives from their heart. People want to be in that mist and in that presence. And I feel sometimes the energy, energy is drained from me. Mm. Uh, so that's why it's important for me to constantly be aware of when I'm losing my energy so I can revitalize myself and be uh, the type of person I want to be to give people the in- attention that they deserve. Because people are in so much pain. There's so much pain, not only for what is happening in their lives, but what is happening on a national level, what is happening to our planet. Uh, People are internalizing the pain that we experience. We've lost the ability uh, to communicate anymore. We're doing a series of dinners we call Breaking Bread, Building Bonds, where we're putting 10 people at a dinner table and from different ethnic groups, different backgrounds, different ways of life, so they can sit down and start doing something powerful. And that's just communicating. Uh, It's more than just talking and waiting for someone to finish a sentence so you can say how wrong they are. It's about being a deep listener and seeking to understand so one could be understood. And we want to do that one dinner at a time, uh, one interaction at a time, because it's time for us to heal, uh, not only as individuals, but as a planet.
0: Do you think that understanding meditation and learning to focus on being present versus where you want to get to makes you a better listener? And has that helped you be a better um, public servant?
1: Without a doubt, because in policing, I dreaded the things that happened. I was afraid of the things that could happen. Mm. So I split my time between those two states of being. So the question was, when was I in the presence? Mm. Now I'm no longer fearing the future and I'm no longer angry about the past. I am solely in the presence. And so while I'm in the presence, I am clearly conscious of the person who's in front of me and the issues they're facing. And I'm conscious of myself being in the present. We spend too much time in the past and too much time worrying about the future. It's time to live in the presence, and, med- and meditation taught me that.
0: So why is this? Why is this so hard? I mean, why are? You, why am I even talking to you? I'm glad I'm talking to you, but why is it so <laughs> special that you are the rare elected official? You are the only elected official who has ever reached out and said, "I want to talk about mental health." we should be talking about mental health. Mental health is as important as physical health. Why are we so blind as a society? And why are, why is it so hard for our leaders to talk about emotions?
1: I think we've ignored it for so long and really going back to unlearning what we learned so we could learn. I'm amazed that even when I speak to some of the most knowledgeable knowledgeable health professionals, when I went through my bout with diabetes, how many uh, good doctors that wanted to see their patients heal had no clue on the concept of reversing diabetes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our uh, inability to really understand how the body operates, the power of nutrition, what it does to our brain, how food even impacts on depression. Uh, Science is showing us more and more. We have to really uh, go back and start learning in a very true sense. We allowed Western civilization and European mindset uh, to really paganize those religions and those ways of life that really connected us to this universal center that we're all a part of. And I believe people are now uh, stating that they want to heal and they're going to find their own roadmap to healing and not just go by what they were taught. But it's it's really a tragedy of Shakespearean proportion how we've denied people the accessibility of knowing how to truly heal and true wellness. But I think we're on the road of seeing a cosmic and universal shift that the conversation is going to be forced out of desperation. I was desperate when I lost my sight Mm. and told I was going blind. I was desperate when I was told I was going to lose some fingers and toes. That desperation forced me to find another pathway of not just doing things that are traditionally done. And I think that desperation is also in the area of mental health and mental illnesses. People want to heal, and that's a powerful desire when you're ready to heal.
0: Well, thank you so much, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, and I wish you good health. Thank you. I first came across Joel Gascoigne from his tweets Announcing his company would move to a four day work week, publishing the company's revenue in minute detail, encouraging staff to take time off for mental health care. Who was this guy? I had to know. And then I learned that Joel had his own mental health story. He's a sworn enemy of burnout, and he actively manages to reduce burnout for his staff and himself. Joel Gascoigne is the CEO of the social media software company Buffer. And after starting a tech company called Buffer, looking to gain more freedom and start a company he was proud of, he hit a series of roadblocks along the road to growth, suffered a major case of burnout, depression maybe, and ended up taking a leave of absence. He came back to work as a different kind of leader, one that wanted to create a more mentally safe place for everyone who worked there. I started by asking Joel how he came to realize he needed a bit of a sabbatical.
2: So it was back in. It really started at the end of 2015, um, and it and it, it began with a year of change and stress and loss. And so we, throughout 2015 and m- or more so throughout 2016, uh, my co-founder and I were growing apart on our vision for Buffer's future and where we where we saw the company going. We had several in person meetings, where we tried to to find common ground. Um, And we, you know, it's something that had happened uh, previously, and we'd always found a way through. Um, And then we also had uh, some financial challenges, which resulted in uh, needing to do a round of layoffs. Um, So we had to say goodbye to 10 uh, really incredible people that, um, you know, our, our finances had, had just been off track.
0: And and you wrote a really um, transparent and honest, you shared this. Yes. Publicly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And one of our core values and just something that I've always uh, had as a principal myself is transparency and integrity. And, and so we really, I think, that can be easier to do when the times are good, but we always have tried to stay true to that in the tough times as well. So uh, I think one of the other things worth noting is that I realized that adrenaline was carrying me through a lot of that year, especially the layoffs. I mean, I remember feeling immediately that I just had to get the company through this, Um, have to be strong for the team. Um, In a lot of ways, I didn't feel the level of stress that I think, my body was actually taking on because the adrenaline was there carrying me through and I felt good. I was exercising, exercising as well. I was doing a lot of things that I felt like were helping me at that time. You know, I think when I describe it, sometimes people can feel, oh, that must've been really hard and it was hard, but I think I don't remember it being a really tough, you know, challenging thing that actually came a little bit later. So I'm just to kind of continue my co-founder and also our CTO uh, left the company in early 2017. And again, I, I, I was uh, kind of thrown into this, help the company get through this and thrive as much as possible through it. And this adrenaline came back and carried me through again. I just also realized that you know looking back in hindsight, I was just so, so stressed um, during that time that it was affecting me as well. It affected my uh, relationship actually my now now wife so it all worked out great in the end but we had some really tough times there um and
0: what was the worst that it ever got I mean what what eventually led you to say I I need to walk away from this for a little while
2: so yeah it was it was it was about two months after my co-founder had left and I'd things started to stabilize and I felt like oh we like we've got through this and I think I remember distinctly that this was a moment that I felt like, "Oh this should be over now and I should be starting to feel better, but that's exactly when the the burnout really hit me, and I just felt felt kind of empty um I lost my motivation I just didn't didn't really care as much. It was, it was a weird thing because I knew I cared really deeply about the company, but I didn't have anything left uh, in a lot of ways i Struggled to get up in the morning uh I felt very sensitive and emotional um even just talking about it, it's kind of bringing it back a little bit but yeah it was kind of like in in those days that anything could just set me off make me well up
0: was there a specific instance or you sort of just one day realized it did someone confront you
2: um well I was I was talking to a few people um with my my family, uh, especially my siblings, just trying to get help, I knew I was struggling. um, And I was also uh, looking into uh, starting to to meet with a therapist, but I didn't have that set up at that point. It was really hard to, I think that's one thing I've learned is that you should really have these things set up in advance of a situation like that, if possible. Um, I think it was really just that I was grinding to a halt, and then one day I felt like it really had reached, I, I felt like I had only a tiny bit left of en- energy that I could put into something. And uh, I started to open up more to the leadership team um, about all the different things and just how I was feeling. And uh, that they, they were very kind and supportive and you know really encouraged me to take some time. And I decided to uh, write a memo to the team um decided I kind of used my last bit of energy to just get that memo out
0: I mean to me it sounds like you were also you were depressed like all the symptoms that you're describing to me sound like depression you know the total flatness inability to find yeah. energy you know yeah can I can I ask you a question that that I'm hearing kind of a lot especially in these very scary times where even people who um People in charge who may not typically feel scared, or they're not in touch with it, their feelings, are scared, and their staff is scared. Yeah. Did you ever say to your staff, like, "I'm leaving because I'm not functional right now"? You know, you'll be okay. I mean, did you, cause some because I think that part of the pressure of leadership when you have a mental health issue is. I can't show it because my staff rely on me. And if I'm, you know, seen as weak, which I think is crap, but that's a whole other conversation, then what will happen to them? You know, like, what's your advice? Because because, because leaving and saying, sorry, I have to leave. This is, I'm in a really bad place, is vulnerable. We, we don't necessarily like leaders to show us how vulnerable they are. Like, what's your advice for that as a leader?
2: I did share that I... I was burned out and i was struggling and i needed to take time off i knew that deep down it was a few layers like buried buried within me at that point because i was struggling um but i still had the sense that i knew that i really cared about this company because i'd just done two really tough things um with with the company i'd and so i knew i knew that um I really cared about the company and I was excited about the future prospects of the company but it was as I say it was like you know hidden or it was it was it was it wasn't something I could feel in that moment um but I did try to share that in the team in that same message um that you know I just I I need to take some time out um I'm struggling um and I also didn't I didn't put a time frame on it which was a little scary to do but I knew that I needed to Share it in that way, because I didn't know how long it would take me um, and I didn't want to just take two weeks off and come back and not be fully resolved from it. I wanted to be in a really good place again.
0: How long did you end up taking?
2: It was about four five weeks, I think uh, something around that
0: Were, Was there anyone in your life uh, tangential to the business, you know your accountant or your financial advisor, or, you know an uncle who said, You can't do this, you're the boss.
2: No, I think I'm lucky that, uh, yeah, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of support at that time. Uh, no one, yeah, no one questioned it in that way, which I think was very lucky, but that's probably part of the, the culture and the team we'd put together.
0: Um, well, but I also think, I think it's, it's important for you to say that for listeners because we, 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 I think we feel that people will be more judgmental than they are, <laughs> you know, we're all human. And that's all definitely spend. true.
2: Yeah. I had a lot of voices in my head at that at that time, which were some of saying some of those things. But um, yeah, I agree. Once I pushed through and shared it, and I think that's the thing with being vulnerable um, and 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 sharing more fully, especially as a leader, is that you may you know you're often you are imagining things that don't end up being true. Um, but also something I distinctly remember is uh, the amount of. The amount of support I got from the the wider team. I'd mentioned, you know, I had support from the leadership team that I was working with very closely to go ahead with taking that time off. But when I shared the memo with the whole team, um, it was like a different level of, of support. But also, it was support for me, but also kind of gratitude that I was doing it because I think it it kind of normalized it in a way, and it and I think that's changed us as a company ever since then because it's made it totally okay for people to take time off you know we have we encourage people to take a day off for their mental health as much as for like a you know more what people see as traditional health um
0: like uh, challenges and you have a lot of you have benefits at the company also i read um Because that's how I found you. So it was, you know, I I, I will say this again. I've said this many times on the show. It is so hard for me to find leaders (laughs) who especially are in their jobs now, you know, um, who are open about having struggles with mental health. And um, so I end up randomly Googling things. And and I found a blog post. I found several blog posts from your team, from you. Um, Talk about how you coming back transformed or you know maybe further enhanced a culture of acceptance and, and and also like technically what you have in place you said you have non-judgmental days off opportunities um you have telehealth like what 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 did you put in place at the company also to make it a less um, a more mentally healthy environment
2: yeah absolutely um i think it did spark a i mean this was very much within the culture already but me taking that time off coming back really um helped us take things to a new level after that point um we have um yeah as as mentioned those kind of mental health days off um as as much as any other types of uh sick leave or time off um i think one of the things generally as well is just um this is not necessarily a specific Benefit we're like putting in place, but I think it's just as important is having those open conversations, creating uh, you know Slack channels or different spaces to have conversations about mental health, sharing uh, you know what we're the, the the ways we're each trying to take care of ourselves. Um, that's something that happens regularly, and I also try to. Um, I think anytime I feel a challenge that um, or feel like then I've you know done something where um you know to work through a, a low point or, or something and that's something where I feel like oh that's an opportunity to, to share it as well um so just kind of breaking that stigma of of it being a weakness or um seen in that way is something that we focus a lot on and once I think it's almost like you know once you open the the floodgates that like pe- everyone's has things that are, have been building up for them and and so now I think we have a really healthy culture where that it gets shared a lot more frequently and it doesn't doesn't build up.
0: Well I mean but this is the point, Joel. It's like yes, everyone has <laughs> everyone has yeah. stuff. Yeah. Everyone has stuff. Leaders have stuff, employees have stuff, you know, every area of your company people have stuff. We're human. Yeah. You know, if you can yeah. have your stuff and be excellent, it's no big deal.
2: It's no big deal, and it's also it's, it's, it's crucial that you work on that stuff yourself, as spe- especially as a leader, more so than anyone else in the company. Especially as the CEO, because you're kind of carrying this baggage around, and so if you don't work on it and don't, uh, you know, share that you're working on it, then it's going to impact your the way that you lead and the culture you end up with because it's all going to just get you know interspersed within that, um, and that's not healthy at all.
0: Thank you so much, Joel.
2: Thanks so much, Moira. This has been a really amazing conversation.
0: That's it for this week's show. If you like what you've heard, tell a friend or rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a question or a topic that you'd like to see featured on the show, you can email anxiousachiever at gmail.com or tweet me at moraam, that's M-O-R-R-A-A-M. Many thanks to Mary Dew, my amazing producer and the team at Harvard Business Review, and of course, to our advertisers who keep us going, and my guests. And if you like the Anxious Achiever music, it's by Brian Campbell at Signal Sounds NYC. From HBR Presents, this is the Anxious Achiever, and I'm Aaron Smealy.